Good evening. Um, tonight's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. I might just take a moment to um, compose myself. Uh, apologies if uh, there's a glistening on my face on the video camera over there. Uh, welcome. I'm Mark, if I haven't met you. Um, if you're new, I just want to, I should have given a disclaimer, you know, 10 minutes ago. We don't do this every week, uh, thank the Lord. Uh, in fact, we haven't done this for 17 years, so uh, you probably won't see another one of these again, Lord willing, anytime soon. Uh, it's good to have you with us. It's a bit of an odd week this week, isn't it? But uh, boy, we've got a great part of the Bible to look at together in Matthew 28. Uh, so why don't we pray and ask for God's help as uh, we study his word together tonight. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Uh, thank you that it contains treasures that are sweeter than even the sweetest honey. Uh, thank you that it contains light for our path. Uh, thank you that it is a lamp to our feet. Uh, Lord, as we think about these words that your son Jesus spoke after his resurrection this evening, Lord, would you please help us to understand them, understand what they mean for our lives, help us to understand what they mean about him. And Lord, would you please give us faith this evening as we listen to Jesus, faith to believe and faith to obey. It's in Christ's name that we ask. Amen. Uh, I've set myself a modest goal for this sermon. Uh, the first sermon is your senior pastor. <clears throat> My modest goal is simply that I just want you to leave church tonight uh, being really crystal clear about what the purpose of your life is. You know, just a small thing like that. That's what I'm trying to achieve tonight. I'm telling you that up front so you're not caught off guard by it later on. Uh, I wonder if you've ever really thought about that question, wrestled with it. You know, what is it that I'm here on earth for? What's the purpose of this? Why has God put me here? What does he want from me? That kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't got an answer to that question, there is an endless line of people who'd be willing to give you an answer to that question. There's a whole cottage industry that's developed around helping people to understand and find their purpose in life. And so, for instance, if you're, if you're without a purpose and you need one, you could sign up to uh, Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker. He's got a 12-step program to help you to find your purpose in life. Uh, that might be a good step to take. Or if 12 steps is too much, well, then you could just read Neil Prem's book, Seven Steps to Purpose. You get there in, you know, 60% of the time. Uh, if that's too much for you, well, you could listen to uh, a self-help podcast by Jay Shetty. You know, this guy, he's, he's got the number one mental health podcast in the world. It's called On Purpose. And uh, he can tell you three uh, myths about finding your purpose in life and three ways that you can align yourself with your true purpose. You know, there is a, an endless line of people who are willing to offer you purpose in life. Uh, but I want to tell you that you know, 12 steps, seven steps, three steps, doesn't really matter how many steps, everybody in that queue offering you purpose is basically offering you the same thing. 
uh, what they will kind of tell you in some form or fashion is that the first thing you do is you look inside yourself uh, and then you find out what it is that brings you joy. Uh, you find out what it is that you're good at and then you give your life to that thing in pursuit of that thing recklessly, wholeheartedly. That's how you find your you know, personal bespoke life purpose. It's a very kind of individualistic uh, enterprise. And uh, tonight, I just want to try and blow that out of the water uh, because I think that that is pure rubbish, basically. Uh, the problem with all of those approaches, all of that kind of way of thinking about your purpose in life, is that when you look inside yourself, the purpose that you will find will simply be too small. That's the problem with that. Uh, there is a bigger purpose that you were put on this earth for. There is a better purpose, and that's God's purpose. And you won't find it by looking inwards. You will have to look up and out to find that purpose. To be really clear, what I'm going to suggest to you tonight is that God wants you to understand that these words here that we read earlier at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, these 61 words spoken by Jesus here, God wants you to understand that these are the purpose of your life. And by extension, the purpose of our life together as a church. Very simply, your life's purpose, as determined by Jesus, is to make disciples of Jesus. Now, this is a new year, you might have noticed. Uh, there are some things that are going to be different this year uh, at WBC, but this is not one of them. A new year, but it, we've got the same mission as ever, this mission this mission of making disciples, what we want to give ourselves to as a church this year is to make disciples of Jesus. We want to see more and more people become disciples of Jesus. We want to see God's kingdom grow amongst us this year. That's the big thing that we're on about here at WBC. And uh, as we read those words earlier, I wonder if you could automatically kind of pick up you know, the weight that those words are carrying at the end of Matthew's gospel. Uh, these are especially important words in the Bible. Consider, you know, the expansive language that Jesus uses in that little section. Four times he uses the word all here. He says, all authority has been given to him. And so his disciples are go to all nations, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Surely I'm with you always, Jesus says literally. Uh, th there is just a scale to these words that's kind of unmatched anywhere else in the Bible. That's, th there's weight here. And then you consider the context of these words, right? Jesus is speaking these words after his resurrection, and he's gathered his closest group of followers, the disciples, the 11 of them that are left, up to Galilee, where, where it all started, and he's told them to meet him on a mountain. Right? There is a climax coming in this story here that kind of adds weight to them. And then you consider the fact that Matthew records these as the last words in his gospel, the very last thing that he says. This is a crescendo moment here. Matthew, as he tries to introduce you to Jesus in his gospel, he wants this to be the taste that's left in your mouth after you've met him. These words are meant to define and direct your life. And what I want to try and do today is just to kind of lay out for you what these verses say so that you would be captured by the great purpose that they present. We're going to look closely at these 61 words and we're going to see three things. 
the first thing that we are going to notice before we look at the famous command that's in them is we're going to notice, first of all, that Jesus gives a reason for that command. He gives us a reason to start with. So have a look there from verse 18 with me again. Verse 18. Jesus says, Jesus came to them and says and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you may be familiar with these words, but don't let the significance of what Jesus is saying there kind of be lost on you. Jesus stands before his disciples and he says, all authority, that is the right to rule, all of it in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's saying, I'm the king of kings, you see, the lord of lords, the power behind every other power, uh, all the power on earth, all the power in heaven, all authority, it's all been given to me. Now, Matthew in his gospel, he's already introduced us to Jesus and he showed us some of Jesus's power and authority already, hasn't he? Jesus has authority over sickness, authority over nature, authority over demons, authority over even death. But so far, as you've met Jesus in Matthew's gospel, that authority has kind of been veiled a little bit, sort of been limited to, you know, one time and one place, one moment. And now here, Jesus stands and says that the scope of his authority has been expanded. Now, all authority in heaven and on earth rests with him. And that really is an astonishing thing for a person to say, isn't it? All authority in the universe the palm of his hand. There, there is an absoluteness to this claim, you see. Jesus is saying that there is no authority outside the boundary that he controls. You can't listen to Jesus here and then say, well, Jesus is just like one God amongst many, one leader amongst many I could choose. No, there's an exclusivity to what Jesus is saying here. And this is, this is a really fitting way for Matthew to end his gospel. Because do you remember actually where Matthew began his gospel? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, uh, it, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, all of his lineage. And the very first verse in Matthew's gospel, Matthew says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's wanted to show us that this Jesus is that great king, great King David's greatest son, that king that God promised who was going to come and rule the world in justice and righteousness forever. Matthew's shown us that. But more than that, he's shown us that Jesus is David's, uh, sorry, uh, Abraham's son, the one through whom the promises of God would come into the world, the one through whom the world would be blessed. And so now here is Jesus, risen from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and the devil, declaring himself to be that very one, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one with all authority, the one who reigns. This is a man who has the right to call the shots in our lives. This unrivaled authority of Jesus, it's the reason that kind of sits as the bedrock on which his command to us then sits. And so look with me secondly in this passage at the mission that Jesus gives us, the mission, and see that Jesus rescues. That's what we're going to see next. Jesus rescues. Back to the passage, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, right, so here is the reason, the connection, therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, because I'm Lord of all, says Jesus, I've got a mission for you that will take you to all people. All right, this is <laughs> what Jesus is telling us here is not some small personal bespoke life purpose, is it? This is a grand mission. This is a world-altering mission he's calling us to here. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, it is important to understand what Jesus is not commanding us here. Jesus is not saying that every single person within the sound of his voice has got to pack a suitcase, head to the airport, hop on a plane and go across the seas to the nations. That's not the point. Because the word go there at the start of verse 19, that's not the main verb in the sentence. The main verb there is the verb make disciples. In fact, it's probably better to translate that part of the verse as sort of as you go, make disciples, or in your going, make disciples. Going is kind of just part of the way that you do the main thing, make disciples, right? That's the job, make disciples. The job is not... Go and talk about Jesus. The job is not go into the world and show people God's love through your actions. The job is not go and get decisions for Jesus. The job is not even go and plant churches for Jesus. The job is go and make disciples. That means that if we're doing all those other things, those, those good things, speaking about Jesus, showing people God's love, planting churches, getting decisions for Jesus, those good things, if we're doing them but we're not actually making disciples, then we're not doing the thing Jesus commands us to do, right? And that begs the question, I hope it's the question that you're asking next then, well, what, what does Jesus mean when he says make disciples? What's a disciple? Uh, how do I know if I'm looking at one and talking to one? What is that actually, what is that? And Jesus explains, thankfully, doesn't he? He tells us what a disciple is in those next instructions. Make disciples of all nations. Here it is, baptizing them. And then, secondly, teaching them to obey. That's the two elements of what a disciple is. And so let's think about those. Baptism, Jesus says. Disciples are people who've been baptized. In the New Testament, when it talks about baptism, often it's just kind of a shorthand way of talking about conversion. You see, people are baptized after they repent of their sin. And they place their faith in Jesus as the rescuer who can save them, the one who offers them free forgiveness. And then baptism is the picture that you then belong to Jesus as someone who's had your sins washed away and been given a new, fresh start with God. So a disciple is someone who shows that they belong to Jesus through baptism. And let's just sort of pause on that for a second and just, just recognise kind of how remarkable it is that Jesus says that this can even happen that people can belong to him. Doesn't that take your breath away? <laughs> that one so powerful as this, the one with all authority in all the universe, he wants people to gather to himself. He, he gathers them in love and forgives them and blesses them. That is what is actually so great about this great commission. It's great, yes, in terms of its scale and its scope, all nations, yes, but it's great in terms of what it achieves, people rescued from sin and judgment. It's a remarkable thing. And so can I invite you, if you're here tonight and you are someone who's not yet experienced that from Jesus, can I invite you to come to Jesus and to repent of your sin 
Jesus will wash you clean. He will take your sin away and he'll give you a fresh start with God. If that's something you'd like to talk with me about afterwards, I'd be only too happy to chat further about it. The point is, though, that Jesus wants us to make disciples. What are disciples? They're people who've been converted and baptised, right? And then what happens? We teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded, which is just to say that the job of making a disciple doesn't end when somebody is converted. Making a disciple means that you help that person then learn to live with Jesus as their Lord. You teach the Bible to that person to help them understand all that Jesus has instructed and what that looks like. And and that means we can be really sure that this instruction here in Matthew 28, Jesus doesn't just intend it to be for the first 11 disciples and then it was going to kind of die out. He intends it to be for us as well. Because you know what happened with these guys, don't you? That they, they went and made disciples in all the nations and they taught those first generation of disciples to obey everything that Jesus commanded, including this instruction to go and make disciples. And so then that's what that generation of disciples did. That's what's been happening for 2,000 years. That's why you're sitting here. Because every generation has understood that to be a disciple of Jesus means that this instruction is incumbent on us as well. We are to make disciples of Jesus. Uh, Sometimes as I'm chatting with other pastors, um, they will ask me the question of how many missionaries we support as a church. Uh, You may know the answer to that question, or you may think you know the answer to that question. If you've taken a look at the board just outside the door there, you may think that the answer is 12, 12 missionaries that we support. If you think that, you'd be wrong, because the actual answer is 550. Uh, There are 550 by our count, people in our church family who belong to Jesus currently at WBC, Uh, 550 disciples of Jesus who have been handed this mission to make disciples of Jesus. Maybe you're one of them. Uh, I asked you at the start whether you knew what your life purpose is. Here is Jesus telling you, if you're a disciple, that your purpose is to make disciples. And so we can actually kind of close the book on that question now. Put that one to bed. If you're a disciple, this is your mission. And so I want to ask you a second question to ponder. I wonder, what do you think we as a church could expect to see happen under God if the 550 disciples of Jesus that belong to WBC at the moment gave themselves this year to making disciples. What do you think you could expect to see in 12 months from now that God might do through us? As you think about that for even just a few seconds, I hope that your heartbeat is starting to increase a little bit. It certainly is for me. It is such an exciting prospect to imagine what God might do through us. If we took Jesus seriously and we gave our best efforts this year to seeing people reached with the gospel and converted to Christ and established in the faith and grown and matured, can you imagine that? Friends, whatever you're thinking of, isn't Jesus worthy of that, (laughs) of seeing that happen? I believe he is. That's why I am fully convinced that as a church, we have to give ourselves to growing. Growing in maturity, yes. Growing in number as well and reaching more and more people. We have to grow and see more men and women and children come to faith in Jesus 
for his glory. Now, I know that um, I'm, I'm deliberately kind of being a little bit provocative tonight, talking about this idea of growing as a church, and I understand that that's kind of one of those issues that makes the hair on the back of some people's necks stand up, and it's not a very comfortable thing. Sometimes uh, people kind of who've been a part of our church for a while, they look around, they go, well, you know, kind of aren't we, aren't we big enough as a church already? Do we really need to, you know, stress that much about getting bigger, growing, reaching more people? And, and if you have that thought or some version of that thought, I just want to lovingly push back on it a little bit and say, well, what, what are you assessing us against there? To say that, well, aren't we big enough already? Really, the only way you could come to that conclusion is if you could look, you know, horizontally at some other churches and you'd reach that conclusion perhaps. But if you look at something else, if you, if you stop looking at the barn that we're in and you look at the field that's outside the barn, you would soon see that there are hundreds of thousands of people in the Illawarra who are facing a Christless eternity. Big? I don't think so. If, if we filled every seat in this auditorium five times over on a Sunday, we would still be only half of 1% of all the people who are in the Illawarra. You know, imagine it this way. If you were on a life raft in the middle of an ocean, there'd been some catastrophe, and you were plucking drowning people out of the sea, you would never kind of lean over to the person, you know, next to you in the life raft and go, you know what, I think that we've got enough people in the boat now, don't you? Maybe we should sort of slow it down. You'd never say that, would you? Because you would give yourself, you understand the urgency, you would give yourself all that you had to plucking more people out of the sea and rescuing them. Friends, isn't what we're doing with the message of the gospel even more important than that? Seeing people rescued by Jesus from eternal death and judgment? It must be our goal to grow because growing means more disciples, which means more people saved, which means more glory for Jesus. But let's be honest, that is a pretty daunting prospect, isn't it? That's a, it's a big task. I understand that. It's interesting in this passage at the end of Matthew's Gospel that Matthew mentions to us that the disciples who Jesus was speaking to were feeling a bit wobbly at this point too. Did you pick up on that? In verse 17, it tells us that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, when it says that they doubted, it doesn't mean that they were sort of, you know, questioning the existence of God. Am I hallucinating? Has Jesus been really raised from the dead? That's not the point of the doubt. It's more kind of like the word unsure. They're confused. Their heads are spinning. They can't understand what it means that the Saviour has risen from the grave. What's going to come next? What will it mean for their lives? They're unsure, just like we sometimes are. And that is what makes... Jesus' promise at the end of this passage, so, so good. That's the third thing we see in this passage, Jesus' promise that he remains. Looking at verse 20, Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are incredibly comforting words, aren't they? They've got to be some of the sweetest words in the whole Bible, I think. They're words that have brought me comfort in moments of distress when I felt alone, remembering that Jesus is with me. Maybe they have for you too. I do think sometimes we might reach for that promise from Jesus as kind of this general comfort to us whenever kind of life is tough. 
And we might actually forget the context in which Jesus spoke that promise. So let me just refresh your memory. Jesus has just told his disciples to go into the world and make disciples, into the world that rejected him, the world that crucified him, go there and announce that Jesus is Lord, which means no one else is, so you need to repent. Uh, Turn from your sin, find forgiveness in Jesus, and start living for him. This is, in some respects, quite an offensive thing to bring to a hostile world. Go and make disciples of all nations, says Jesus. It's fair enough that they might be feeling overwhelmed at that point. And though that's the context in which Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Do you understand the point of that promise then? Jesus is saying to us that God will be with us in our going. As you cross the street to invite your neighbour to church, God is with you in your going. As you take that courage pill and actually share Jesus with that person in your workplace, God is with you in your going. As you say goodbye to friendships and relationships and go and join a fledgling church plant in Calderwood, God is with you in your going. As you uproot your life and move to some far-flung corner of the world to engage in mission work, God is with you in your going. And do you know how often he's with you in your going? Always. I am with you always, says Jesus, 100% of the time in your going. (laughs) Jesus goes. That's the promise. And that means that we can go too. Uh, Apparently, in the US Coast Guard, they have an unofficial motto uh, which says you have to go out but you don't have to come back. <laughs> and uh, if you think about it, that's quite a morbid kind of a you know, motto for an organisation that does rescue. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. The point it's trying to convey is that there is simply no excuse good enough when you're in the Coast Guard to not even attempt the rescue. Right? You can't stand there on dry land and say, oh, the seas are too rough. Oh, the, the storm, it's you know, too violent. You don't have that option because lives are at stake. And so you have to go out. Coming back, well, that's optional. (laughs) Friends, you know, don't you, that lives are at stake when it comes to the gospel. More than that, eternities are at stake. And we do have to go out. Our king has commanded us. His glory dictates that we go. Compassion compels us to go. There is no excuse good enough to not even attempt to try and rescue people. We have to go out. But the beautiful thing about this promise from Jesus is that he's saying to us that he goes with us. The Lord of heaven and earth is with us in our going. So friends, there's no danger for us at all, is there? Not like the Coast Guard. What a promise this is. What steel that can put in your spine to consider going this year and making disciples. It's a new year, but our mission hasn't changed. The reason for our mission hasn't changed. Jesus' promise to us in that mission hasn't changed. And so I want to call you, friends, 
to let these 61 words from Jesus define you this year. Let's make all that we do this year be towards that great end. I want to let you know that I'm praying a prayer this year uh, that we would see 25 people come to faith by the end of the year. That's a prayer I'm going to be praying all year. 25 men, women and children rescued from death and given new life in Jesus. Why pray for 25? Well, uh, my question is why not? Uh, 25 people is approximately 5% of the entirety of the people who come to WBC on a Sunday. Uh, And uh, one thing that you could say about that number, that 25 people, is that it's certainly not too big, is it? (laughs) We've seen that Jesus actually deserves the worship of all people everywhere. But 25 from amongst us would be a nice start this year. And so I'm praying for 25 people. Would you join me in that prayer this year? Would you pray with me all year long that we might see more and more men and women and children saved and established as disciples of Jesus this year? I'm so excited to consider what it might look like for us to make making disciples our focus and our purpose this year. It's um, towards that end that uh, I want to let you know that we are introducing a new evangelistic course this year. Uh, it's going to replace Christianity Explored. It's called 321. It's been developed by an Australian guy named Glenn Scrivener, who's an author. Some of you may have heard of him. And we think that this course is really well made and it's going to help us to connect people with Jesus and help them to understand Jesus' claim on their life. Uh, And I actually just want to show you a short teaser trailer for that now. It's about 40 seconds long, just to whet your appetite about what this course is going to be like. Picture this. This course, it's just one way that we can work together as a church family to make disciples. And so if you're sitting there tonight and thinking, I just I don't quite know where I would start in trying to make disciples, make that my purpose this year, can I suggest that inviting someone along to 321 would be a really easy first step to take? We are actually hoping that we'll see... Uh, every member of our church try and invite someone along to 321 this year. Uh, Sam Madavi is going to be leading the team that is going to be running that course. So you can pick his brain about it later. It's going to kick off uh, after Easter. Uh, and so we'll have more information for you as kind of the date draws closer. But can I ask you to begin praying about that now as well? Um, you could begin praying about the people who you might invite this year to 321. That'd be a worthwhile thing to pray about. In fact, in the new series handbooks for the series we're starting Uh, next week, we've left some space at the very start of that book for you to write down the names of three people that you want to invite along or want to see come to faith. And you're going to be praying for those people in your home groups for the whole of the first term. Uh, So do look forward to that. It's a very easy way to begin to direct and align your life with Jesus's great purpose for us. Brothers and sisters, this is a good 
purpose for our life. It is a, a grand purpose, this great commission of the Lord Jesus who himself has all authority in heaven and on earth. He commands us to be aligned with him in this, to be about first and foremost making disciples, bringing people to be saved into relationship with Jesus and then establishing them in their life with Jesus, growing them in their life with Jesus, that they might also then join in the great purposes of Jesus in seeing disciples made of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. And so let these 61 words hang as a banner over your life, indeed over our life together this year. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. A gracious God, we thank you for sweeping us up into your grand purposes in this world. Thank you that you choose to work through weak people like us, people who are frail and people who are afraid, to proclaim the saving message of Jesus. Thank you for calling us to be a part of this great program. Lord, would you please help us to be on board with this, to give our lives, our time, our energy, our finances, our prayers, our relationships, our everything towards that great goal that will last for all eternity, seeing men, women and children one for the Lord Jesus. We long for him to receive the glory and the honour and the praise that he deserves, being worshipped by countless multitudes across the Illawarra and around the world. Lord, would you please make this mission our mission. Amen.